We are continuing our journey through the hard time letters, and today we pick up in Philippians chapter 2, but as we get there, I want to give you a little bit of a forewarning. There will be very much personal things going on as Paul expresses himself. You will see right off the, it'll jump off the pages of your Bibles. This is very personal. And it's almost like he's trying to wrap something up, but he's not. He's just pulling us into his personal world. This is the middle of Philippians, not the end, but it kind of feels like he's doing something there that's almost concluding. Second, there will be hyperbole. For those of you who don't remember what that means, It's an exaggeration on purpose, not intended to be taken literally. That's in the Bible. It's in the Bible a few times, and it's in our text today, and it will be very plain to see. You'll know it when you see it. But I'll help you out. So Philippians chapter 2, we pick up with verse 19. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Did you catch it? Paul says, for they all... seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Right after he's building up Timothy, it's almost like he's criticizing everybody else in the whole world. They all. No one else is like Timothy. They're all just seeking their own interests, not that of Jesus Christ. But in our text, he's going to go on and talk about his friend, his comrade, his co-worker, and his support, Epaphroditus. And when he brings up Epaphroditus... He talks about how great he is. So, obviously, this statement that everybody's seeking their own interest doesn't include Epaphroditus. I'm sure Paul's not including himself, but you can tell there is a strong frustration, as Paul is inspired to write this, with only one person, really right now, that he wants to build up a lot, and that's Timothy. If you'll remember... Paul wrote this after he had already written some other works. And then he, he writes this in such a way that he's, it sounds like he could almost give up his spirit and die. He's that close to death, he feels, but yet he lives on for at least 10 more years and writes more for the Lord and does more for the Lord. In fact, he ultimately takes Timothy along with him and puts him in the church in Ephesus a very strong, solid church, and puts Timothy in charge of it. This is like 10 years later. So he's not intending to say all the rest of us are just worthless and Timothy's great. But obviously, Timothy is the only one who's willing to be sent later. Everyone else has got things going on. Everyone else is not doing what Timothy's doing. Timothy is willing to drop everything at some point in time in the future, and go visit the Philippian church. 
This is a little bit bigger than our typical dilemmas when we're given an opportunity to serve the Lord. Timothy is given an opportunity. Now understand, let's get the dynamics of the time. Epaphroditus is the one delivering the letter to the, from Rome to the church in Philippi. Now when they get this, they're going to read Timothy. Paul hopes to send Timothy later. So Timothy's not coming right away. But Timothy takes the opportunity. We know that he's going to do this. Yes, I'll go, Paul. When you're ready, I will go. But us, we're different. We're on the way to something. Somebody's pulled over on the side of the road that needs our help. We could help, but we have an appointment. I really need to be there. And we just pray for them, and we think we did our Christian duty. When actually, it would be better as we are close and we've got our Central Kitsap Christian Church vinyl on our vehicle, not to pass them up if we can help. We pull over and we help however we can. That, that's going out of our way a little bit more than just simply driving on and praying for them, right? Praying for them is good. Stopping and helping, much better. It's bigger than that for Timothy. Let me show you how much bigger it is. Here's a map. You'll see it behind me. And if you look at it, You'll, if you'll go ahead and click it, uh, JC, you'll see the journey that he would have to take. Now, he would have to take a ship, and he'd have to sail, and notice the different directions he would have to sail. In order for me to create this in, in a PowerPoint slide, I have to uh, create the, I have to draw it, and then I have to draw it in sections because I have to make it a downward motion, and then a sideward motion, then an upward motion. I've got to change each one because that's the way it goes. That's a little bit tedious, but can you imagine how tedious it would be to sail? Because you got to get everything right, you know. You got to catch the wind and you got to go to these different places. In order to get to Philippi, this would take more than likely weeks. This is not just, I'll pull over and help them out. This is, I'm going to take a chunk of my life and go do this. So you can understand why other people are like, Paul, I, I can't do this. But he's a little frustrated. Timothy's like, I'll drop whatever. This is the Lord's work. Like, wow, you got to be impressed with Timothy. Paul is impressed. And so he says nice things about Timothy. He builds him up. And it's, and it's even better than it sounds because it sounds like he's doing it at the expense of the rest of us. But if we could go back to that uh, original slide there, JC, I know it's not the way I've got it designed, but if you could go back to it, we'll read that again. There you go. Perfect. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. Notice this. He's not just building Timothy up. He's also wanting a report from Timothy directly because he knows he will be encouraged hearing more about the Philippian church. It's just like, more than likely, you. If you were to go away for a while, you would love to hear how things are going with the people that you love in your home church. That's the way Paul feels about the Philippian church. He knows them well. And so he says in here, even though he's talking about Timothy and building him up when it looks like in his hyperbole at the expense of all the rest of us, he loves the Philippian church, and he, he, wants to, he knows he will be cheered by Timothy's report. Now, 
we'll go to a passage that Paul wrote years before. When he wrote to the Thessalonian church, I want you to pay attention to his words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, if you could jump to that slide. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Paul wrote that. Not only did Paul write that, Paul does that as he writes to Timothy. He's building up Timothy, he's building up the Philippian church, and in a little bit he's going to build up Epaphroditus, and he's going to talk about using Epaphroditus to build up the church. He had already said to do this, this is what he's doing. We're going to talk about this a little bit more in just a moment. But I do want to move in the text. Philippians chapter 2, pick up with verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Paul loves Timothy like a son. He's been like a son. And the Philippian church knows this. So he's just, once again, emphasizing how special Timothy is and why he's building him up so much. They know it, so let me tell you some more. Can you imagine if you were Timothy? Can you imagine what it would be like to see that Paul was writing such nice things about you? Well, if we surround ourselves with people like Paul, that sort of thing happens. Now, what I'd like to do is we'll get through this text, and then we're going to kind of talk about some things that you and I need to talk about. Verse 25 continues. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. I told you. My brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. If he would have died, Paul would have been overwhelmed with sadness. But I want you for a moment to think about how all these dynamics here in the text that you see behind me and in your Bibles that you have open. <clears throat> he was distressed. Why? Because he knew that even though he had gone to give a gift, he, he went to give a care package to Paul. I don't know if you've ever received a care package, but I have. I remember when I was in college and I, was, I had a bunch of finals to do and I, I was stressing over the finals. And I remember that I got a box in the mail and I opened up the box. I wasn't expecting a box. I opened it up and it had all kinds of things that a college guy would love right at the time when finals are there. All kinds of snacks in there. That's mostly what it was full of, just every kind of snack, candy bars, beef jerky, nut, healthy stuff like nuts were in there too, but I wanted the unhealthy stuff, I got to tell you. And this, you want, you want to know where this came from? It came from the, the women's ministry in the church. 
that I had not even, I hadn't really paid attention to what they did. I didn't know what they did. I, mean, I knew that, you know, I had family members that were involved in it, but I, I didn't really know. But when I received that, I thought, that is such a kind thing and a thoughtful thing. How did they know, you know, that I could just be encouraged by this box of junk food? And because of that, that stuck in my mind, and over the years, I have, when I am at my best, sent care packages to people at times when I think they need it. To open up something, and wow, this is at the perfect time. And I learned that from some godly women in my home church that I really didn't even, most of them that put this together didn't know me, they just knew of me. And I was thankful. Epaphroditus has delivered a care package to Paul. He is sent there to do that. That's his main job. But it turns out he stayed. And in staying trying to help out Paul, he got sick and almost died. So the church in Philippi, he's thinking, Epaphroditus is thinking, they're going to be so disappointed in me. I've now become a burden to Paul when I was supposed to come and deliver this care package and make him feel good as he's incarcerated. Now I come here, and Paul's got to worry about me. And the church is going to be disappointed because I was supposed to take things off of Paul's plate, and I gave him stuff. That's how Epaphroditus feels. And it continues in our text with verse 28. I'm the more eager to send him Therefore, if you could move that, JC, thanks. That you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So he came to do what the Philippian church couldn't do without him. He was the deliverer of this package. He had to take that journey that I showed you that Timothy was going to have to take to deliver a care package. The whole time on this ship, he's got to make sure he's caring for this care package to deliver it to Paul. He did it, and in trying to serve the Lord... He almost lost his life in doing it. See how Paul turned that around? He's like, don't, don't, don't get disappointed that he got sick. He was trying to serve the Lord, and because he was doing this is why he got sick and almost died. He almost sacrificed his life to do the work you couldn't do without him. So honor such men. Receive him with all joy. See how Paul turned that around? There's negative things in this whole dynamic. But Paul chooses to direct them in a more positive way. But I don't want you to overlook what we just got a snapshot of. Besides the hyperbole where Paul was extremely frustrated because only Timothy was the one willing to drop everything and go, well, let's not forget Epaphroditus. He too did the same thing. But Paul was frustrated. Notice also he's anxious and we, we saw that Epaphroditus was distressed. There's in this little snapshot in the life of Paul, what we're seeing is 
Paul got stressed. Do you see that? He comes across in almost all of his letters where you just see him, that he's, he's positive, he's encouraging, but he is letting us see a part of him we don't always get to see. And it's, and it's in this small section at the end of Philippians chapter 2 where we get to realize Paul's a lot like us. Yeah, he's a dynamic apostle. He's an amazing servant of the Lord who planted so many churches and built them up and was inspired to write so much of our New Testaments. But he struggled too. He, he could relate to some of the things we go through. In this, he says, he wants them to receive Epaphroditus so that he won't be as anxious as he has been. Take away some of his stress. Now remember, Jesus taught, Paul knows this, Jesus taught something in, in uh, his Sermon on the Mount. And I'm, I'm going to give that to you in a minute, but I want to show you a chart similar to the ones I've shown you before. Right here, This I call it the stress chart. And I drew it, well, in a computer. And the way this typically works is your psychiatrists, psychologists, and counselors will try to tell you this is where you handle. You see that ball that just popped up there? Where you handle your problems once you've gone through all this stress, you have to make a decision, admit you have a problem, and solve the problem. You have stress release, whether it's, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to hang out with a friend. I'm going to get a friend. <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to maybe take some pills that the psychiatrist has prescribed that I need to take. Maybe I'm going to get a new hobby or at least start doing the hobby that I like to do. And I've been so focused on all the things I've stressed about. I'm going to do this and just get my mind off it. I'm going to take a walk. I'm going to go sit by the river. Uh, whatever it is, you know, you stress release. Read a good book. Have counseling. Or you can say, I don't have a problem. What are you talking about? I'm not stressed. You want me to punch you over that? I mean, you know, you know, people like like they don't have a problem and they get worse. Their health declines. But if you deal with it and decide, okay, I got an issue and I have to do something about it, that's a good step because you at least are admitting there's an issue. You're stressed. Now, that's where psychiatrists and psychologists and counselors want you to handle it once you've gone through all this. But Jesus had a better answer. He says to handle it up here at the top of the chart, look at this, uh, stress perceived by the individual. How you choose to think is where you sh is best place to handle it. In fact, you can, if you can do that, then you don't have to go through all this other stuff. Now, if you've already gone through all this other stuff and you've been stressing quite a bit, you're going to have to do something about it at that lower level. But if you choose to think differently, you can avoid all of this. See that line, that dark line? You can avoid all that other stuff. You can pre be preventive if you choose to think in a way that would be better for you. I want to make it clear. We get to choose how we think about things. Yes, we do. Whatever just popped in your head as I said that, is your choice. You chose to think that. As I said, we get to choose how we think about things. Some people might think, easy for you to say, well, okay, you can think that. You made that choice to think that. Or you could, some people would think, um, it's not so simple, pastor. 
Well, okay, you chose to think that. You just proved what I just said. We choose to think about things. Yes, we do. We get to do that. And we do it all the time. We make these decisions, and some of us have these little automatic switches. I've talked about neuroplasticity. Your brain is already wired to think negatively, so you flip that switch and you think negatively. When somebody says something you don't like, you immediately go down that path, and you're going to be negative, 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 instead of possibly going, maybe I need to rethink something. There's nothing wrong with being challenged. If you haven't noticed, the most successful people you'll ever read about, they love challenges. Have you noticed that? Maybe, maybe I could choose to love challenges. And when somebody says something I don't like, how about I listen, see if it's reasonable, and evaluate if I'm thinking incorrectly. What's wrong with that? What is wrong with me evaluating if I'm not thinking right? Nothing. It's okay to self-evaluate. <laughs> you hear that sound? That's like, uh, isn't that that smoke alarm thing doing the thing? Is that what that is? That beeping? That's what it is. You know what that means to me? You are thinking. You're, you got your brains going and there's smoke somewhere. One of you, one of you is doing it. Maybe, maybe we're overthinking. I don't know. But... We, uh, we cooked bacon and extra bacon for the men's breakfast yesterday. That's probably what's doing that. I don't know. I didn't smell it when I came in, but it was going off yesterday because of the bacon and the extra bacon. Here's a, here's a quote. Maybe it's familiar to you. This is from a cartoon. What day is it? Asked Pooh. It's today, squeaked Piglet. My favorite day, said Pooh. You do understand that a lot of these stories that are made for children, at least they used to be, in fact, some, many of them today are trying to redirect in the wrong direction, children, but most of the classics are designed to try to help children think correctly, like this one. How can every today be your favorite day? Well, it's because you choose to think that way. You can do that. <clears throat> in fact, it was Ralph Waldo Emerson that said, write it on your heart that every day is the best day in the year. You can choose to think like that. <laughs> Yet some, when I say that, some, and you know some people who will do this, they'll think, oh, no, I won't. Oh, no, I can't. It was Jesus. I said I would mention this. I would share it with you in Matthew chapter 6 that gave me the, the springboard to launch into that little drawing I gave you a minute ago about how you can choose to think about things so that you, in a, in a way that you don't stress yourself. He said in Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to give you this, it's all broken up. I've, I've taken out some pieces, but you should read the whole thing. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. Go down to verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Think about that one. Have you ever been lying in bed, just staring at the ceiling, stressing, looking out the window, stressing, sitting alone in a room, just stressing, driving down the road and missing a turn because you're stressing? 
How much time are you adding to your life by stressing? Have you ever thought about how much time you're wasting as you do that? If you can't do anything about it, why are you dwelling on it? Look at verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If you prioritize Jesus, then God knows you need all these things that you stress about. He knows what you need. But if you prioritize Jesus, understand you still got to deal with those other things. God will help you, and he'll take care of you. I want you to understand that therapy that you do for yourself when you simply prioritize Jesus. Let's just say for a moment, because most of us in this room believe that Jesus is real, but let's say for a moment that somebody thinks Jesus isn't real. So let's just, let's just say you prioritize something else that's out here, because if Jesus is not real, let's just say it's something else. So here you've got your stresses, and the things in life that reality that, you know, you got negative things to deal with, that's the life. So you got those things you have to deal with right here. And then you've got this other thing over here. And if this becomes your priority, this becomes secondary. Do you see how that works? Even if this isn't real or tangible, if this is the priority, this is secondary. You're not focused and dwelling on those things that drag you down. But Jesus is real. And so if you do that, now you've got the priority that helps you to have this as secondary. But on top of that, the priority is very real and tangible. There is someone at the end of that phone call, when you say your prayers, God hears and he does answer. So you've got so much going for you if you seek first the kingdom of God. And the last thing in that section in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, that I want to share with you, therefore... Don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient the day is its own trouble. Have you not lived that? Yes, we don't have to focus on all the troubles. They happen. They come. But I don't have to coddle them. I can pray about them. I can ask Jesus for help. I can hand them to him and say, Jesus, I'm going through stuff. What is it you would have me do? with my day, because I want to please you. If you focus on other things, you don't have to stress about those secondary things. There's a, in 35 plus years of serving in pastoral ministry in churches, I have seen a lot, and I have watched people choose to stress over things and stress everybody around them in churches. They get themselves miserable and make everyone else miserable around them. And sometimes they don't even realize it. Sometimes whole groups of people are miserable together and they don't realize how miserable they are. You don't have to do that. Here's, here's a simple thing. If you're focused on Jesus' stuff, you don't have time for the unnecessary drama. And if you don't have that figured out, you might want to self-evaluate. You might be part of other people's drama. Just saying. All right. I would like to, if you don't mind, uh, fast forward. We will get to, if the Lord wills, Philippians chapter 4. 
And I, and I want to give you a heads up. We will get to Colossians. Colossians has some more about how we can do better with our thinking, how we can do better with our attitudes. But so does Philippians. And I, and I want to, we'll get to chapter 4 and we'll peel it back piece by piece. But I don't want to do that today. I just want to get to chapter 4 and give you what it's got. Some cool stuff that definitely speaks to what we're doing today. So Philippians chapter 4, starting with verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And if you count, that's four joys. Because rejoice means joy upon joy. And so in one, one verse, you've got joy four times. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I don't know if anybody has given you this analogy. Uh, somebody once said, I don't remember, it's probably somebody I should remember, but somebody once said, all comedy is born out of tragedy. And I don't know if you've thought about that. That's the way it works. If somebody, you know, if, if I were to walk off these steps and I were to fall, you would probably laugh before you checked on me. <laughs> and once I'm okay, you'd probably laugh more. Because it's funny, I would probably laugh before I got up off the floor. I'd probably laugh even if I was injured. It, it's just funny. It wasn't supposed to happen, but it happened, and it's funny. All comedy is born out of tragedy. If you, if you think that through, you'll understand. That's, that's the way it works. That's why when you see the, the drama masks, one is comedy and one's tragedy, they actually go together. And sometimes you'll, you'll read about a movie, and it'll be called a comedy when there's nothing but sad things that happen in it. Like, what in the world? All comedy is born out of tragedy. That's, that's the understanding. And I was definitely one of these people that had my thinking wrong in a lot of ways, and I still do. I'm still trying to figure it out. The Lord's teaching me things all the time. But I'm the high school kid that wore a pink shirt to school, ready to say things like, oh, I didn't know you were insecure of your manhood, to the people who criticized my pink shirt. You can understand. I had the wrong attitude. I was looking for a fight, and... I was looking for ways to make fun of other people. And it's easy. It's easy to make comedy at other people's expense. It's pretty easy. It doesn't take a great mind to do that. But I can tell you, you're more fun to be around if you joke about yourself rather than making fun of other people. You make fun of yourself, that's funny. And everybody will laugh. You make fun of somebody else and the person you're making fun of, they might laugh along with everybody else when they're alone and thinking about what just happened, they're wondering why you don't like them. And Christians, we can have joy upon joy upon joy upon joy because we choose to think that way. We can choose to think about the good in other people. There's, there's something fun, and laughter is definitely a great expression of joy. Christians, I know, we love to laugh together. That's what we do. But it's, it's just one of those things that comes natural when you are full of joy. That's why Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. Have joy upon joy upon joy upon joy. Christians, this is what we're supposed to do. And when you're the kind of person that has this joy that oozes out from you, other people love being around you because you're shining the light of Jesus in your life. Don't you love to be around people who make you feel joy-filled? Of course you do. There was, a, there was a guy that when I was a young boy, 
um, middle school, going into high school age, and as I was taking seriously my faith, finally, I paid attention to this guy. His name was Gary Varner. Gary Varner was a cartoon character, and by the way, so are you. The older you get, the more you become a cartoon character. You have these little things about you that make you unique, and other people, especially in your church, they love those things about you because you're unique. Gary Varner was unique. He had, if you remember the singing group, the Imperials, that started out singing with Elvis, and they went on to do their own thing, and Rust Half and all those names you are familiar with. Gary Varner had a voice. He, they sang, he sang a lot of imperial songs, and he had a wonderful voice. Played softball with Gary Varner. Gary Varner, when he walked, he did communion meditations, offering meditations. When he walked up to the stage in the church, he walked with his head sideways. He always walked with his head sideways. I don't know how his neck didn't bother him, but he always walked with his head sideways. He was a very sincere man and a cartoon character. He was a great softball player. One day, this high school, I think I was just starting out in high school, boy said something to uh, indicate to Gary that I was insecure of my physical appearance. I was pretty skinny. And he said to me, you know, uh, I used to be skinnier than you. And I thought, no. And he was kind of fat. <laughs> but, but he was also kind of muscular. And when he said that to me, that was life-changing. He just sensed that I had some insecurity. And he said it in front of other people. And even though it highlighted how skinny I was, when he said he used to be skinnier, I thought there's hope for me. He didn't have to notice that I had some kind of insecurity. I, I even tried to figure out how did he know that he needed to say that. I don't know if he knew, but God used him. And Christians do this sort of thing. They see good in other people and they tell them the good. And if they see some, the, the other person is lacking, they try to give joy to them that they have. And that's what he did to me. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Hey, how about that? Those of you men who were at the men's breakfast yesterday, I'm plugging a commercial just so you know. We went over logical reasoning, and the guys liked it, so we're going to continue with logical reasoning the next time and go deeper. So if you didn't come, mark your calendar. It's going to be February 5th. 8 o'clock in the morning breakfast, 8.30 to 9.30. We're going to go a whole hour with logical reasoning. And it actually is fun. Talk to some of the guys who are here. that You'll learn something you haven't, you don't know, and you will become a better thinker and ultimately a better person to lead your family in Christ. So that's what we're doing. And it's a perfect opportunity for you to bring your friends who don't know Christ, who just want to learn logical reasoning, because that's what we're doing. But look what the Bible says. And this scripture is not in the paperwork I gave you guys. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. We're supposed to be rational clearly to those of us, those people around us who aren't Christians. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. Now, isn't that interesting? Paul lets us know he was anxious, and he's trying to encourage at the end of the book, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Yes, that's how you do it. If you're starting to be anxious about something, hand it over to God. That's helpful. Look what it says, verse 7. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It might not make sense to you. It might not, you know, rationally, as you're trying to think this through, I don't know how just, when I'm stressing, how is praying going to take that away? Because I still got to deal with this and this and this and this when I'm done praying. Trust God on this. This is what the Bible says. Try it. You'll be surprised. There's, besides the fact that somebody is at the other end of that conversation and can take that burden off of you, it feels good just to talk to him and to hand it over and believe that maybe he will help you. Just that. Just take that step. There's more. I want to take you to one more chunk in Philippians chapter 4. So the next section right up behind me. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. That, what Paul is doing in Philippians chapter 4 is what he was doing in Philippians chapter 2. What he's doing in chapter 2 and chapter 4 to the Philippian church as they read this once Epaphroditus takes it to them is he's encouraging a church that encourages him. It's kind of a, a servo control thing where each are building on each other. What he was doing in the first century to that Philippian church, he's doing to our church today in the 21st century right now. If you're paying attention to what God's trying to do with you, it's not a coincidence that you're here. It's by his sovereignty that you are here. By making others' worlds better, you make yours better. I don't know if you thought much about that, but if you can learn that if you want to make your world better, one of the best ways to do that is make others' worlds better because they're in yours. Does that make sense? So if you can be the kind of person, those kind of people that you like to be around that just pour joy into you, if you can be that person that's pouring joy into other people, you're making their world better, which in turn makes your world better. Does that make sense? And that pleases the Lord. We are in a world right now that is so... It's, it's so sick. They need the doctor that we know. And if we give them a little taste of the medicine that he's given us, can you imagine what this world could be like? We make their worlds better because they get to know a little bit more about Jesus and our world gets better. So I say to you, and I think that's what it's screaming off the pages today, build others up. Let's pray. God, forgive us when we are party to tearing other people down. We know it's easy, and we know it displeases you. Forgive us when we fail you in that. Help us to be people that build others up, people that are pleasing to you in the way we handle ourselves around other people. God, we know that it seems like all around us that the devil is having his way. But we don't want that to happen in our lives. So Lord, use us in this very dark time. Shine your light through us as we try to build others up. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.